invite you to turn with me into the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And if everyone is there, I'll begin reading the first uh, four verses of Luke's gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we come before you, having read your word, we ask now, God, that you speak to us as we study it and we dig in and seek to understand it so that we could apply it, whether we, it's applying it in what we do throughout this week or uh, an application that involves us changing the way we think or changing the things that we believe. God, we ask that you do that. For us this morning as we begin uh, to study your word that you have given through your servant Luke. We ask that you do this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. We are beginning a study on the gospel of Luke. And Luke tells an amazing story. Luke is telling the story, the greatest story ever told, I believe, is what it's described at. Or at least there was a movie made uh, about the life of Christ called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And Luke is one of the writers who brings that to us. And so as we looked at Luke's little preface here, his introduction to his gospel, which is kind of unique uh, for the gospels, um, we get... An introduction on what he's about to do and what his purpose is. But before we do that, I want to take a step back and let's investigate a little bit who this person, who the, who God has by his Holy Spirit inspired to write this gospel. We want to look at who this person, Luke, is before we get too far. And so if you have your hand out, you can follow along uh, and the first one is we're going to look at Luke, the person, Luke, the person, Luke, the person, Luke is the author of this gospel. Now, the interesting thing about Luke being the author of the gospel is that nowhere do we see Luke's name anywhere in this gospel. And many scholars believe that whoever wrote Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If you would turn to the right several pages, two books, and you get uh, the beginning of the epistle or the, or, excuse me, the book of Acts. And I follow along as I read the first couple of verses there. 
It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, does that sound familiar? It's a name that appeared in our scripture reading. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So we have, this is Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So whoever wrote Luke also wrote Acts, but we don't have the name of the author in either one. Well, how do we know it is Luke? Well, there's a couple of uh, ways we know that uh, Luke is the gospel. And we find that in a couple of other scripture passages here as well, too. So if you would turn with me to Philemon. Yeah, I got it. Did I get an ooh? It's like, ooh, Philemon. I've never heard anybody talk about Philemon before. Um, Philemon. Right before Hebrews. It's easy to miss. It's only like 25 verses long. So if someone tells you to turn to Philemon chapter 2, you have an idea. They may not know what they're talking about. Philemon, one chapter, it's 25 verses, and this is penned by the Apostle Paul, who we learn about a lot through the book of Acts. And Paul, the Apostle, is writing to uh, this person named Philemon. And at the very end, Philemon 23, he gives some final greetings, and he lists off some of his companions and workers in ministry. Look at what it says. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, because Paul was in prisoner at the time of writing this, a prisoner for preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, sends greetings to you, verse 24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And what does it say? My fellow workers. So if you look through uh, the book of Acts, and you look at the Apostle Paul and the journeys, the missionary journeys that he goes on, he has some traveling companions, people who are doing ministry with him, and the names of these people are listed in the book of Acts, all of them except for Luke. So scholars figure, well, this is that's kind of some support to the idea that Luke is not listed among one of those fellow workers of Paul as he's traveling around and doing these things because Luke is the one who's actually writing these things. And so we learn one thing about Luke is that he is a co-worker of Paul. The great apostle Paul who penned many letters of the New Testament, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We know about Paul from the book of Acts and we know about Paul from his letters. And Luke was one of his fellow workers, along with Demas and with Mark. So we learn a little bit about Luke. He is a co-worker with Christ. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be looking at a few of these passages today. It's a little bit to the left. Colossians is a letter by Paul to the church at Colossae, one of the uh, churches in, in Turkey. And look at what it says in verse 14 of chapter 4. 
This is also at the end. Well, let's back up to verse 12. Actually, let's back up to verse 10. You may recognize some of these names. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision. That's something, uh, key point to remember. Among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So here we have Aristarchus and we have Mark. And then we have the addition of someone named Justice. Who are listed as his fellow workers. And they are uh, Jewish believers. Because it says they're the, the men of the circumcision. Now that's what it says in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. Meaning he's probably a resident of of the city of Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. So here you have Aristarchus, you have Mark, you have uh, Epaphras is mentioned again. So here's the co-workers of, of Paul. And then he mentions two more in verse 14. Luke the beloved fish, physician greets you, as does Demas. And then he, Paul writes about more greetings. This is one of this is the second of three verses that in all of the New Testament that lists Luke. And so not only was Luke a co-worker, a fellow worker with Christ, with Paul in his ministry, he's also a physician, a beloved physician. It says. So not just a physician, a physician people actually like. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. That gives you a little glimpse of this, this person's character. And what a companion for Paul to have on his missionary journeys. Many of you are familiar with the Acts of the Apostle. And as Paul is going on his missionary journeys, it was not smooth sailing. Uh, figuratively and literally. He actually was shipwrecked. One time he was beaten with sticks and was stoned with stones many times. And on his journeys, he had not only did he have co-workers there uh, one, by the way, one time it says they dragged him out of the city because they thought he was dead. That's how badly beaten Paul was. Many of you may have seen some of the horrific images that are coming out of Syria and what's happening to Christians. That kind of thing was what was happening to Paul. One who was going around proclaiming Jesus is alive. But fortunately for Paul, he had a beloved physician. He had Luke, a doctor, a trained medical physician to be there as his co-worker and companion on, on his journeys. Imagine how many times Paul was beaten with stones and dragged out of the city and left for dead. And Luke was there tending to his wounds. Offering comfort and healing as a physician and co-worker of Paul. So he was a fellow worker. He's a physician. He was a beloved physician. Which means he was probably highly educated as well too. Probably was pretty affluent. Most likely he became a Christian during Paul's missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, what we see in the uh, book of Acts... Um, we see several places 
where Luke is writing the narrative of what's happening in Acts and telling the story about all of how Christianity and the, the gospel of Jesus is being spread all over the place. Um, and he talks about it in the third person. They did this and he did this and he said this and they went to the city and they preached. But then somewhere in the middle, he switches and he says, and then we went and then we traveled and then we took a boat and we sailed there. So Luke probably became a Christian through the preaching of Paul in one of those cities and uh, was so transformed and so changed by the message of Jesus that he joined Luke, excuse me, Luke joined Paul in his journeys and said, you know what? I'm going to leave my practice. I'll leave my profession and I'm going to join you in your endeavors. What an amazing thing for Luke to do. And he worked humbly behind the scenes, doesn't even put his own name, doesn't even include himself really in uh, the gospel he writes about Jesus and the book of Acts as he's writing about the church. So a fellow worker, a beloved physician, probably very uh, highly educated, very affluent. The Greek, by the way, uh, the New Testament was written in uh, Koine, common uh, Greek of the day. Luke's is very polished and very elegant, kind of giving you know, testimony, something that maybe a, an educated or highly schooled physician would write. Luke was probably a Gentile, wasn't Jewish. Get this a couple of reasons. One, he has a Greek name, Luke, Lucas, his Greek name. And then also, as we saw in Colossians chapter four, as Paul is lifting off his co-workers who are part of the circumcision. Um, Luke is... Uh, Luke is not listed with them, so he's probably very likely a Gentile. And then I'll turn with me to, we'll look at the third verse that uh, Luke is mentioned in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, 2 Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse, um, we'll read from verses 9 down to verse 11. By the way, this 2 Timothy, this is one of the last writings we have of Paul. It's near the, the end of his life. Many times he talks about um, departing and his race being completed and he knows that his end is, is near, and um, he's writing to Timothy, passing on to Timothy as a, a kind of a, his ment, mentor, mentor e relationship. I mean, he's kind of his disciple, and he's passing all of this information down to him because Paul knows that he's about ready to die and to leave soon. And so he says in verse 9 to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas... Recognize that name. That's one of Paul's co-workers in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So here Paul's one of Paul's companions, fellow workers, traveling companions, along with Aristarchus and Mark and Luke. Demas leaves 
Crescens has gone to Galatia, Paul continues, Titus to Dalmatia, and in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So I picture Paul sitting in prison, writing to his protege Timothy, and sharing these different things. And then you read about what must have been just a heartbreaking thing for Paul. One of his co-workers he'd been traveling and doing ministry with for years says he abandons him. And not abandons him for because he's pursuing other ministry. He says because he was in love with this present world. But then that beautiful statement, Luke alone is with me. Luke never leaves Paul's side. So there we get a glimpse at the type of person that Luke is. He's a fellow worker with Paul, a beloved physician, probably very affluent, but then was not so in love with the present world that he decided to choose that over helping Paul with his ministry. He was a Gentile who became a Christian through the preaching of Christ on Paul's missionary journeys. And he was faithful with Paul to the very end. No wonder it could be described as beloved. So there's a little snapshot at the, the life of, of Luke from what we can glean from the scriptures. So that's Luke the person. That's the author of. Of this gospel. Now let's look at Luke, the historian. And in this part, we'll be looking at the gospel, his gospel itself. Now, last week I talked about the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the announcement that Jesus uh, was fully God, fully man in the flesh, who came uh, to take our sin and our punishment with him to the cross. And then to offer forgiveness and restoration and make new creations out of those who reject, who rejected God. And Jesus was alive, came back from the grave. This was the announcement of the good news. But the word gospel is not only used for the message that's announced and proclaimed. It's also used for the biography of Jesus that records that story. So that's why we have four Gospels in the New Testament. We have the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and Gospel of John. Say those with me. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. If you've ever wanted to memorize the books of the New Testament, there you go. You're off to the first four. Work on those. So those are biographies. All of those are biographies of the life of Jesus. Now, Luke's back in our back in uh, excuse me, Luke chapter one. Uh, Luke acknowledges that he is not the first one to write this. Look at what he says in verse one. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning where eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered us, it seemed good to me also having followed things closely to write an orderly account. So what he says is, hey, there, there have been other writings about the life of Jesus. Uh, many have undertaken to compile a narrative already. 
Now, we don't know how many there were, maybe that at the time when Luke is writing this. Luke is writing this in about the 60s AD. We know that the Gospel of Mark, who Luke, you know, kind of used in probably some of his investigations, was written maybe earlier than that, maybe a decade or so earlier than that. So we have uh, Mark's Gospel written probably in the 50s. You have Luke's Gospel written in maybe about the 60s. Matthew's gospel is written in about the 60s, maybe even the 70s. And then John's gospel is the latest. It's written in the 90s, 90 AD. So Luke acknowledges he's not the first one. Mark was probably the earliest. And, but Luke's is the longest of the four gospels. It's followed by Matthew, which is the second longest. John is the third longest and Mark's is the shortest. So Mark's was the earliest, but it's also the shortest. Luke acknowledges that he was not an eyewitness to the things that happened in his gospel, which makes sense if he uh, joined Paul in his ministry, you know, the we passages of the, the new to, uh, of the book of Acts. So he joins him later, which makes sense. He wasn't an eyewitness of the life of, of Jesus. And so this means that Luke had to do an investigation, a careful investigation and research and study into the life of Jesus, which he acknowledges. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke does research. Luke is going on an investigative journey to record the events of who Jesus is. And this is what we have in his gospel. And that gives some very unique things in Luke's gospel that we don't have in other gospels. So turn with me to chapter two, just for just to give you an example. And we're going to get into some of these as we go through the course of the series. For instance, in Luke chapter two, he records something that isn't in um, any of the other gospels. And that is Jesus as a boy. Uh, the other Gospels record a birth narrative. Matthew talks about, you know, the shepherds coming and, you know, out with the flocks of sheep by night, you know, that kind of thing. Um, all of them record something like that, except for John. But Luke is the only one that records the life of Jesus as a boy, probably 12, 13 year old boy. And you see that at the end of chapter two, verse 41. Many of you know the story. Jesus and his parents go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So in other words, Jesus was a typical 12 year old boy doing his own thing and getting lost. Right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? OK, you know, this story, Jesus stays back in Jerusalem. And so his parents go back with the caravan. They go back up to to Galilee, back up to Nazareth, where they were living at the time. And they realized, oh, Jesus isn't with us. What a terrifying thought. You know, Jesus is gone, lost. And so they probably were a day away, a day's journey. They had to do a day's journey back and spend a day looking around in Jerusalem for Jesus. And it says they find him. He's sitting with the religious leaders in the temple, listening to them, asking them questions. And so, uh, and we're going to get into this in greater detail in a couple of weeks. And so they ask him, what were you doing? And he goes, I'm in, you know, I was in my father's house. And notice what it says in verse 50 and 51. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
and 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, all of you, the mothers are going, oh, you know, I mean, that's. Um, and you think your kid is special. Like, her kid was Jesus. You know? um, imagine that scrapbook. Um, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, stop and think for a moment. Um, this, is an, this is an example of the type of investigative thing that Luke had done. Years later, Luke travels, probably, you know, travels to Jerusalem, finds Jesus's mother and says, hey, could you tell me a story about his childhood? What was that like? And you, can you picture Mary sitting there with Luke and then, and boy, this event, and boy, I just treasured those, I just treasured that in my heart. Who would know that? Besides somebody doing a deep investigative study. So there's an example of the type of thing we're going to see in Luke's gospel. Digging down, doing research. As he says in um, verse 3, it seemed good to me having followed, investigated closely, Everything He went through, no stone was left unturned for some some time past to write an orderly account or a narrative for you, most excellent Theophilus. And so notice the word there too, uh, uh, an orderly account. You see narrative in verse, verse one as well too. Luke doesn't set out to write a treatise. He doesn't set out to write a doctrinal kind of statement. He writes, he doesn't even set out to write an apology or a defense like why... Christianity should be a legal religion in the Roman Empire. No, he writes the story of Jesus. To be sure, there's doctrinal things in there. And there's truths in there. But he sets out to write history. The story of Jesus. And this is a, a point for us to remember. Maybe you could write this down underneath this heading. Christianity is based on history. Christianity is based on facts in history. I was reading this, um, and I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to put this on the slide. But I'll read a section from one of the commentators. This is from J.C. Ryle, who was a, uh, a bishop in England at the very end of the 18th century, I believe. Um, 19th century, excuse me. And he points this out about what Luke is doing here in his gospel. He says this, Christianity is a religion built upon facts. Let us never lose sight of this. It came before mankind at first in this shape. The first preachers, so meaning Peter, James, John, Matthew, later Paul, as Paul was converted. The first preachers did not go up and down the world Proclaiming an elaborate artificial system of abstruse doctrines and deep principles. They made it their first business to tell men great plain facts. They went about telling a sin laden world that the son of God had come down to earth and lived for us and died for us and risen again. The gospel 
at its first publication was far more simple than many make it now. I think, you know, I don't know how complex it was when he was writing this. It was neither more nor less than the history of Christ. Neither more nor less than the history of Christ. Sometime later, I think I have another quote here. New Testament professor J. Gresham Machen had this to say about the historical basis of Christianity. And so bear with me. I'm going to read some quotes here. Machen is one of my favorites. But if any one fact is clear on the basis of this evidence, he's talking about the, you know, the New Testament, it is that the Christian movement at its inception was not just a way of life in the modern sense, but a way of life founded upon a message. It was based not upon mere feeling, not upon a mere program of work, but, an, but upon an account of facts. From the beginning, the Christian gospel, as indeed the name gospel or good news implies, consists in an account of something that had happened. And from the beginning, the meaning of that, the happening was set forth. And when the meaning of the happening was set forth, then there was Christian doctrine. It gives an example. Christ died. That's history. Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. These two elements join in an absolutely indissoluble union. Without these two elements, there is no Christianity, he says. And then one more. Bear with me. What that the, uh, and then he, he was describing about this ability that these early Christians had in going across the entire world to proclaim this message. And then what was it that was in them that enabled them to face death for it? Stop preaching that or we'll kill you. Okay, kill me, they said. But I have to tell you, this is a fact. Okay, so he describes this as equipment. This equipment that they have. What is this equipment, this ability that enabled them to do that? What the new equipment was, at least uh, the outstanding and external element to it, is perfectly plain, he says. The great weapon with which the disciples of Jesus set out to conquer the world was not a mere comprehension of eternal principles. It was an historical message. An account of something that had recently happened. It was a message. He is risen. Amen. I got to get an amen. This is this is so important. And I really want to stress what Luke is doing here and why this is historical is because we do we we're, uh, enter into great peril. If we reduce Christianity merely to a mode or principles for living. Some do, because it kind of helps soften some of the edges of Christianity. Some of the harder edges, like passages that speak of sin or judgment or God's wrath being poured out. And that wrath being poured out on the sun. If you can eliminate those things and then reduce Christianity to um, it's the best way to live. You've just made it common with any other kind of religion, which is what ends up happening. Some will say, but I, I mean, Christianity has the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to yourself. But other religions have that. And so what makes Christianity different? And some people really struggle if they're thinking in the mindset of, well, this is Christianity is just the way of living. What makes it better? Well, you struggle. 
Now, without denying that Christianity is a way of living, it's based on something that happened. Jesus is alive and out of the grave. Reducing Christianity to mere, um, here's principles for living, will not do. People don't get hung up side down on a cross as uh, history tells us happened to Peter because they think that principal way of living is better than another one. No. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he is ruling and reigning and they were blown away by this truth, this fact, and they merely were recording this happened. And it has implications for how we live. But this was a historical event that happened. Amen? Amen. I, none of this was planned. I'm, I'm off script here. So um, this is, uh, there were many times when I would be in dialogues with other people who are maybe atheists or from other religions and those kind of things. And we would be, uh, we'd talk about these things and I would get so stuck because I was trying to communicate like, well, Christianity is this a certain way. But then when I always brought it back, what do you do with the empty tomb? What do you do with the facts of that happening? And who does that happen to? That conversation takes a big change and a big turn. Friends, we need to remember to this Christian message, the good news, is based on history. Something that happened. Something that happened. So I'll say it this way. Now I'm back on script. Christianity is built on a true story, on historical facts. If those prove untrue, the whole thing falls apart. Paul even says something along those lines. You've heard me say this before in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection. If uh, Christ isn't raised, then we of all people, meaning Christians of all people, are the most to be pitied. If it's not true, you, there's no amount of lipstick you can put on that pig to make it better. But those, back on script, though, but those facts are true and Luke records them for us. He set out to write a historically accurate Carefully investigated, well-organized account of Jesus. So that's Luke's gospel. And we'll get into more details of Luke's gospel as we go, as we go along. Luke's gospel is a historical record for us of Jesus. Now let's look at Luke uh, the pastor. Luke the pastor. And we see this in who he's writing this letter this uh, this gospel to notice it says in verse the end of verse three to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus let me hear you say Theophilus Theophilus very good it's a Greek name so it's likely that Theophilus is a Gentile his name Theo uh, Phyllis it's a combination of uh, two Greek words it means uh, lover of God okay lover of God so that's what Theophilus means it's very likely that he is a very high-ranking official, either in Roman government or Roman society. So Theophilus is, um, which is, we get this from the term, most excellent. This term wasn't used just as a, you know, kind of an honorary title and, you know, um, 
Nobody should be using that for anybody around here, you know. Um, hey, good to see you, most excellent, whatever. No, this was a very honorific title. So very influential person. So we, we have a couple of options then on why it is that Luke is writing to this guy, this um, uh, very important VIP person. One is maybe that Theophilus is just a seeker or has questions about this, this movement that's going across the Roman Empire called Christianity. So he, he's maybe commissioning Luke to do this investigation. Maybe, and some have said this, maybe even Theophilus is bankrolling this investigation. I mean, if Luke is having to travel all over the Roman Empire to do interviews and do research and uh, to write the longest of the four Gospels, you know, this was going to take a quite a bit of money. And so maybe Luke was using his own resources, you know, his own savings as a, as a physician, or maybe Theophilus was was. Contributing, we don't know. And so maybe Theophilus was just a seeker. The other option, which is probably more likely, is that Theophilus was a brand new Christian. We get this at the very end of um, verse 4. Concerning the things you have been taught. The Greek word there is the catecheo. It's where we would get catechize. So maybe Theophilus was... A new Christian had heard about the message in the gospel of Christ, became a Christian, was baptized and now wanted to maybe needed to know more about the story of what was going on. I think that's probably likely what is happening. So now Luke is a pastor addressing this new Christian. And he gives us his purpose in this as well, too. So that, it's right there in verse 4. You know, verse 3, Sometime, pastor, write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that, here is the purpose clause, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty. Here's Paul, the pastor, coming out. You ever struggle with doubts? Doubts about God? Doubts about your, your faith? I would hope so, because that seems to be a normal course for Christians. And if we take the view that uh, Theophilus is a new Christian, maybe he's just struggling, how do I make sense of all of these facts? Luke, the pastor, is stepping in and saying, let me tell you, let me remind you, let me tell you the story about Jesus. So that you may know for sure. Let me tell you the story of Jesus so that you can know for certain. This is Luke's purpose for writing his gospel. Luke was reminding Theophilus of the life of Jesus so that he could know for sure about his Savior. He was writing to Theophilus so that he could know for sure about his salvation. To know for sure, as he says here, what has been accomplished among us. As he, just as it was re, uh, conveyed by the apostles, the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word who had delivered this message. And he goes... 
yes, you've received that, and now I want to make sure that you know for sure about Jesus. This is, this is my wish for us. I want Luke's purpose to be our purpose as we go through his gospel. Luke's gospel is for everyone who needs to know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Luke's gospel is for you. Luke's gospel is for everyone who has struggled with doubts. Have you struggled with doubts? Brothers and sisters, Luke's gospel is for you. Luke's gospel is for everyone who needs to be certain of their faith. Brothers and sisters, life, uh, this is, sounds ridiculous to say, life is hard. This world is challenging. We are just travelers on this journey and we will take knocks, we will get beaten. Maybe not physically, maybe emotionally, maybe you know, spiritually we'll take some knocks and wounds. And like Paul, uh, we'll have some wounds. But here in Luke's gospel, we have a very well-written, historically accurate, carefully researched presentation of the life of Jesus. Luke is acting like uh, a physician for our souls. He's our beloved physician. So my hope is that as we're reading through and studying through Luke, that we're going to see clearly Jesus and know for certain. Amen? Amen. So a couple of recommendations as we, we get going. Um, devote, devote some time to read through Luke's gospel. And when you get finished, you know, read it again. Read it several times as we go through our series. If you do not have a Bible, we will give you a Bible. Please come and see me. We will make sure that you have a Bible. If you're wanting to take maybe the next step and really study and investigate it, if you don't have a study Bible, I recommend that's a great place to start. Maybe you read a section or a heading or a chapter and then read through the notes. If you're wanting to maybe take the next step and are looking for Bible study resources or commentaries, see me. I'd be glad to direct you to some really some good ones. Also, we have these small groups. We'll give you an opportunity to be able to study a passage on a schedule, study it in depth, answering some questions, and then being able to gather together with other people and say, this, what, this is what I've learned about who Jesus is in this passage. And this is some things that have challenged me and have confronted me with it. So that's an, that's an option for you as well, too. So read through Luke's gospel. I've made a, a commitment to actually read, not only reading it, but actually writing it. Um, there, I found these devotional uh, things called the 1718 series, where you actually write scripture. 1718 is from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. Uh, when Moses is commanding that the kings of Israel were to take the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they were to write it down so that they had their own copy. 
And I think this is exactly the type of thing David did. And that's why David was like, write a psalm. He's like, man, this is good. And then you would write a psalm about it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try that. I'm going to write Luke's gospel. And so, um, so that's what I've been, been doing. And so if you're interested in doing that, it might be a good way to internalize scripture. But, but I want for us to be so immersed in the gospel of Luke for the next six months. But not just for its sake. But so we could know for certain about Jesus. You with me on this? All right. Let's God make that so. Hey, would you stand with me? We'll, we'll close. Um, closing prayer. So let's pray together. Father God, again, we give you thanks because... You have spoken to us. You have spoken to humanity. You've spoken to your people. You've recorded this and preserved this in your word. And we are grateful for what you have done with Luke and what his, in his writing that is your words. That Luke has researched for us and is giving us an accurate account God, we ask that you open up our eyes and open up our ears so we can hear what you would say to us through Luke during this series. God, we want to be people of your book, your words. We want to be people of your message of your gospel because it is the power, your power for salvation. So God, open up our eyes and speak to us as we endeavor through this series in Luke. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you this week. Thank you.